0: Welcome to TSF Life, a podcast ministry of the Shepherd's Fellowship Church in Marion, Ohio. TSF Life is designed to bring you biblical teaching in a relational way that's easy to apply to your life. Let's join Pastor Tom Hypes as we dive into today's teaching.
1: Well, good morning, guys. So to forego any further confusion, please remember the youth group bought me the shirt. This was not bought myself. Dana assumed that I bought it myself and said, your wife needs to take away your credit card so you can't buy clothes for yourself anymore. I know it's kind of dorky, but it's also true. (laughs) Guys, we're going to jump right into our study. If you've not been with us, we're in a study on the uh, team uh, ministry gifts of the spirit. And we have been going through for uh, probably about a month and a half uh, learning about the spiritual gifts and then for the last four weeks looking at them in action through some of the testimonies of the scripture. And so we have covered quite a few. Let's see if you can remember who the example was since it's the last week. Who was the evangelist? Good job. Who has notes already out? <laughs> okay, Scoville, who was the prophet? Okay, not Scoville. who's the teacher? That was a tough one. Close, but no. <laughs> Aquila and Priscilla. Good job. Don't raise your hand because I won't see you and then you'll think I just blew you off. Exoder? Good job. Shepherd? Timothy. shower? The, <laughs> the meek? Every single meek. Who? Good Samaritan. Okay, we got them all in. Now, I, I see Mr. Gass coming in, he would have had all of those right off the bat, I'm just saying. So, but we've got to get into our last three, and we do have sheets again. Uh, I do want to let you know, because some people have been asking me for sheets, um, because they weren't here in particular weeks. Show up at church. No, I'm just kidding. Um, we do have extra sheets, and they're all up here. So after church, uh, if you if we run out of one particular one, let me know, and we'll print it for you. And I will also say, if you've been complaining that some of them are too small in in the print, (laughs) wait till you see today's. Okay, (laughs) Acts 9, Acts 9 is where we need to head to first, as we look at the server. The server is who's next, and we're going to be looking at the testimony of Tabitha. So Acts um, 9, 36 through 43, again, if you need a Bible, there's Bibles in the baskets around the room underneath the chairs you can keep hours still, OU version is up and running as well today. Uh, so please make sure you uh, use any resource that works best for your study. But where we're going to end up at this point, going into the... How many people have heard of Tabitha? How many... Thanks, Michael. How many people have heard of Doka? Doka, okay. Yeah, we'll talk about that aspect of it too. Um, but where we're entering into things, there's been the great persecution. Saul has been ravaging against the church. But Saul has now uh, had an experience with Jesus Christ. He's accepted him as leader and forgiven his life by acknowledging with his mouth that Jesus is the Son of God and believing in his heart he died and rose again and he is now a Christian. So the persecution is still going but it's not quite as strong as it was maybe a couple of months ago. But Peter is now moving from place to place taking and sharing the gospel. And in the one particular uh, area, he is in Lydia and that's gonna be in verse 32. Uh, where he finds a man that's been bedridden for eight years and he heals him and that the word gets out people are coming to the Lord and there's a revival going on in this town what we're going to pick up on now is a situation in another town that's it says it's close but it's about 11 miles uh, away so not too bad that's kind of like me driving from Waldo up to here but I'm not they're not driving they're walking so it makes a little bit of a difference which will come into play in our our story as well so let's read a little bit and see what we find when verse 36 it says now there was in Joppa a disciple named Tabitha which is translated means Dorcas she was full of good works and acts of charity in those days she became ill and died and when they washed her they laid her in an upper room since Lydia was near Joppa, the disciples hearing that Peter was there sent two men to him, urging him, please come to us without delay. So for now, we'll start with the name again, Dorcas or Tabitha, depending on which language you're using to uh, to be able to translate her name. I personally like Tabitha better because I think Dorcas is a very mean name to name your daughter. Uh, it's a different time, different culture maybe, but nonetheless, I prefer Tabitha. Both also translate into the word gazelle, which I think is very fitting that we have here for this person that has her spiritual gifts and service. Graceful, uh, flowing, moving. Um, And in this particular area, this Joppa town, it is a a wealthier town, Jewish town. Uh, It does have a seaport. It's not the most popular seaport, but it is a wealthy seaport. And so there is a pretty good possibility that I, I guess I've always kind of saw Tabitha as maybe someone who just didn't have much, so she just she sewed. Um, there's a real good possibility in my studies so that she was probably wealthy, or at least well Means so that in this particular area, it was very commonplace for a woman who had uh, resources to sponsor uh, and benefacting charities to be able to take care of those who were less fortunate around her. So there's a, there's a good chance it wasn't her only option. It was her God-given option. And her spiritual gift is why uh, she served as a matter of fact when i was kind of reading it this time i personalized it a little bit because um, the person that came to mind because i've I told you before i like to imagine and, and kind of get visualizations uh the person that came to mind when i was reading that uh, this time was cheryl Hoor. Uh if you don't know cheryl Ho and dell are uh, active members of our church probably some of the most dedicated members of our church that because of health cannot be at our church, and they grieve that. But they are, are every Sunday. I know they're watching right now. She's probably mad at me for even saying her name. Uh, mm-hmm. Dell's probably laughing at her in the moment. Hey guys, uh, on the big screen TV on uh, YouTube. But the, uh, but Cheryl is, and, and Dell too. But uh, the Cheryl I think came to mind because she's so active. Both of them so active in helping others, taking care of others, serving others. Uh, Cheryl especially through the women's club. Uh, is constantly looking for opportunities to uh, invest in, to inspire, and to help people. And so for me, I, I think it just kind of took it to another level when I'm putting myself into this story of how much we cherish Cheryl and Dell, if this was us in our situation. So um, she is voiced. she's taken up a room. This is the tradition of the time. Uh, and she is going to uh, be buried. She has to be buried by Sunset according to the tradition. So they put her up there, they go and send a couple of men, and they're o- urging Peter to come and to come quickly. Uh, the thing that's interesting to me, and again, I, I mentioned that this is 11 miles away, this uh, Joppa to Lydia, uh, which means it's about, it could be up to about a four hour trip by hustling, uh, one way. So it's interesting to me that they send these two guys. Because they have to get Peter and they have to get Peter back, so that's an eight-hour round trip, let's say, uh, seven if they're really hustling, um, which they probably were, be. because she had to be buried at sunset. Okay, that's the tradition that's the of of the people. So they had so they only had a seven-hour window, or I mean, a, a limited window, to be able to have God step in. The thing that cracks me up with that is that they actually thought that would limit God, but death didn't. And that you know what I mean, like. Uh, she, she's dead, God's got to step into this, we got to go get Peter, but we got before sunset it would be too late. Uh, and it just reminds me sometimes our tradition will even be stronger than our faith sometimes. So just an interesting thing that I saw there. But nonetheless, these are people of faith they are running to get Peter, you know, come, come without delay. Verse 30, 39. So Peter rose and went with them. And when he arrived, they took him to the upper room. All the widows stood beside him, weeping and showing tunics and other garments that Dorcas, Tabitha, made while she was uh, with them. But Peter put them all outside and knelt down and prayed and turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes and when she saw Peter, she sat up. Uh, Again, this is the second time that they're having testimony of her service, of why she means so much to them, that they, they just can't live without Tabitha. Because of the service she did, we see nothing. where she has great authority. which has great command. But because of her service, we just can't lose her. Is the the overwhelming theme that keeps coming up. So he he prays privately. He puts them out. If you want to do some just interesting, I, I like to see common themes in the scripture. Uh, you can write down First uh, Kings 17, First Kings 17, and Second Kings chapter 4. Uh, in First Kings 17, we have Elijah. Raising someone from the dead in the upper room, he puts everybody out to pray the prayers. Uh, Elijah, his protege, is the one that's in Second Kings. Uh, again, chapter 4, It's the exact same situation. Uh, it, I don't think it's overly described why. I don't know if they don't want a mixture of here's faith over here and doubt over here and people that are truly caring and people that just want to see if there's a miracle and those type of things. He just moves all that distraction out and prays over her and she comes to life opens her eyes, and she sees Peter. Um, and it's kind of interesting uh, because from my best of understanding, and I don't think I'll ever fully understand this until we get home, as far as how afterlife things happen, Old Testament, New Testament. I mean, I've got some fills from what the Scripture has. But from the best understanding, more than likely, when, when before Jesus fulfilled and we had the opportunity to have things open that uh, death was asleep uh, in Abraham's bosom where they were comforted. Uh, but either way, I'm just kind of curious how Tabitha actually felt about having to come back here. Uh, and when she opened her eyes, like what her thoughts were. Uh, I, I think I think it was Chuck and I was reading some stuff on that. With, I, th- I think it was Chuck and It might be somebody else. Um, but he he was talking about, even though we don't know how she feels, but I bet she was much more purposeful from this moment to her actual death um, because of how she sees things now. But but this, this, this is what it is. He prays over her. Uh, She comes back to life. She sits up, verse 41. And he gave her his hand, and she raised up. Then calling the saints and the widows, he presented her alive. And it became known throughout all Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. And he stayed in Joppa for many days with one Simon a tanner, which if you uh, follow along the Peter and Cornelius story, you know we're we're set up for that in chapter 10 because of who he he is staying here with. So with the help of Chris, I'm going to put up a quote. From Charlem Simeon. How many people heard of Charles? Yeah, me either. Uh, He was a cleric in the early 1800s, but I like this quote. It says, The tears of the godly and the lamentations of the poor are the noblest monuments that the departed worth can have. Oh, that we live as to be thus regretted by the Lord's people and to have our memory engraved in the hearts of all who knew us. This is the cry of the servant. This is the cry of my Tabithas, Raising was so, so important. Um, so with that, we have sheets. Hmm. We have three of them today. I think i will break it up to different people. Oh, Tammy, Hannah's here. I bet Hannah would love to help you hand out sheets. What a wonderful mother-daughter experience. Sure, come on up. Now, if you've noticed anybody who's complaining about the size of the script watch d- d- Ignore the list for a second and watch the faces on this one it 's going to be great' going to be great get magnet if you want this side of the room yeah. Yeah, or oh, don't say oh gee, she're <laughs> already giving it away. Yeah, I'll hand it Cindy's and I 'll hand it Kathy's.
0: to
1: okay. you, you guys might want to look at the back before the front, but but they 're done as nicely as <laughs> they By the way, let me. I'll make you this deal for those who want a promotion. Everybody double your ties, I'll hire an administrative assistant and we'll make them however you want. But the information's there I promise you you might just need to get a magnifying glass you out. Did, you, do have one. you do have one, yeah. See Kathy's ready. She's good to go. Did you bring it for this or did you ha- do you always get you did. I love you. I love you. Huh? And for taking notes? Okay, okay. So, say something good. I like pizza. I like pizza. Actually, I don't like pizza as much as I should, especially after last night. That was not good. Okay, so, so, everybody kind of got them? Everybody's in general shape? Oh, look at Hannah helping her mom on her mom's side. That is so sweet. So sweet. Okay, well, let's go through the notes up on the screen. Chris's help. Here's some things to know when it comes to the area of the servant. Uh, It comes from the word diakona, is that close enough, Uh, to do service, which is also the root word for the word deacon, uh, which in our church we generally uh, refer to as our care team, as deacon, because that's what deacons do. They serve, they take care of the people. Uh, They are generally happy with manual projects. Um, Again, not necessarily having to have the spotlight on them uh, again it's always good to say thanks and appreciate but that's not what they live for uh, they're, again they're happy work behind the scenes uh, service can be a help or a ministering gift from a help standpoint a lot of people um that serve like to serve as let's say um the helpers in the kids bar or the helpers of vbs or the helpers at a concert to set up or tear down whatever the case may be um, that, that's the, kind of the helping side of things. I have on there six-month stat that's really just a reminder for me. I, I thought it was interesting when I was going through uh, some of the information on this, that there's, there's a stat that if someone uh, starts attending a church and they don't start um, serving in some way within the church within the first six months, uh, it's very, very, very unlikely that they, that they will plug in and serve. Um, in those capacities. So I just thought that was an interesting stat. Uh, and then from a ministry standpoint, that's more hands-on. Uh, the, the people that will uh, come to do part of a painting project, the people that will come and help read, the people that will uh, take care of the grounds, those type of things. And again, it's not a lower gift at all. This is the problem that we have with the serving gift, is that a lot of people think, well, I can't do anything else, so I guess I'll just show up and mow. Mowing is huge and is part of the ministry of the church. Um, so if you ever feel that way, remember Tabitha. Remember Tabitha, no service uh, is, is secondary in any way, shape, or form. I was reading through this. Um, oh, I was interesting again, this is from the, one of the resources that's from Dr. Larry Gilbert, who I've been uh, really using most of his guides towards this particular study. Uh, and I thought this, it was interesting, he said, service are not uh, people who believe that since they can do nothing else in the church, they must have the gift of serving. That attitude would be little the gift and would be an insult to the person who has the gift of serving. There are no menial tasks in God's works. Um, it is possible that more people have this gift than any other. Servers paint the walls, pick up the trash, sort the hymnals, uh, if they can find the hymnals, clean the baptistry, <laughs> keep the, min- the nursery, uh, bake the cakes, cook the meals, paint the signs, drive the bus, and a million and one other necessary tasks in the church. They can always be found late in the evening doing some seemingly small job like fixing the public address speaker that didn't work last Sunday. They usually do not realize that their love for the Lord shows every time the doors of the church are open, especially if they oiled the now quiet hinges last week. And so again, I, 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 if you see yourself in that area, I, I pray that you look at Tabitha Moore and uh, find what you have there. If you're a server, you have the spirit given capacity and desire to serve God by rendering practical help in both physical and spiritual matters. You are the person who meets the the practical needs of fellow Christians and the church." Mark 12, if you would. With Mark 12, we're going to move to the giver. Uh, And we're going to speak about the the widow in this particular area of things. Um, Now, as you're turning there, I, I think I'm going to read just a few verses before because I find it interesting that oftentimes if we look at a testimony or we look at a situation like this, there's oftentimes some sort of teaching before it that Jesus did, and then God provided an opportunity to see it in action right afterwards. Uh, So in verse 38, if you want to start just a little bit early, it says, In his teaching, Jesus said, but where are the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and like greetings in the marketplaces and have the best seats in the synagogues and the places of honors at feast who devour widows houses and for a pretense make long prayers they will receive the greater condemnation so he has just taught a a, a warning a truth a judgment against those of the religious leaders. Um, within the church that's around him. Not all of them, but but they know that there's a problem. That's where then things change into an illustration. Verse 41, and he, being Jesus, sat down opposite the the treasury or the temple treasury and watched the people putting money into the offering box. Many rich people put in large sums. Um, So this is weird to me. Uh, I, I don't think most churches would find this acceptable behavior, to be honest with you. Jesus is done teaching. He goes down. And he looks at how, who's putting what into the church treasury. Uh, this is a, a coat that's right beside the, the uh, coat for women, and he just sits down and starts watching whatever he puts in. Uh, for today's aspect of things, and I almost did it. It was a last-minute thing, and I thought, no, nah, I don't want to really throw things off. But it's like me following around the offering bags around the church to see what you put in. And be are like, dude, okay? It's like the one thing that we don't tell people in the church is who gave what. We give out so many financial facts, uh, whether it be through the prayer chain or through the report that's out front or the weekly report. But I won't tell people how much Kathy gave this week, how much Angie gave this, this week. But here's Jesus taking a sitting to see exactly what they're doing. It, it, it's odd compared to etiquette. Now, so you see the several people, many rich people put in large sums. One thing I always kind of assumed with this particular story, but I, I think it's okay to assume it, but not 100%. Uh, it's not bad to be rich. That's not what this says. It doesn't say all the rich people were hypocrites and he was just looking at them like they were jokes. I think some of them were because he just talked about it. But there's nothing there that says that it's a bad thing, that they were giving large sums or that there was rich people that were giving. It all comes back to the heart. Matter of fact... I think one thing it accents at in verse 42, we don't have the word but a widow did a great thing. We have and a widow did a great thing. So e- even in this particular text, Mark is not necessarily trying to beat up anybody that has finances or anybody that gives much. But there is a point to be made. 42 And a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins which make a penny. Many things to remember here. A widow, she does not have a husband. This is a different culture than what we have today. The widow does not have a job. The widow does not have financial support. The widow is going to be in poverty most of the time. Uh, And almost always relies on the community or the family around her to be able to survive. Uh, Even if there are every once in a while an exception to the rule, this woman is not that exception. She has nothing. She has nothing. The two small coins, um, I, I like that it translates, tries to translate for us to think of it as a penny. Uh, it is actually the smallest coin in the, the region at the time. Uh, and it is one sixty-fourth of a den, uh, denarii. And so two of those added together is about the average man's pay for 20 minutes at the most. So if we look at that today and we want to translate it, to, to us it would be about three bucks. She has about three bucks, four bucks to live on. And she comes up and she puts all of it into the offering plate Um, how would you look at that if you sit next to Jesus like what would your response be if you knew that information I I was again from an educated biblical imagination standpoint I do think there are those that are out there and thankfully we don't see a lot of this challenge here at the church but there were those that would look at it in kind of a snide way and saying, oh great, thanks for your three bucks. I'd buy us about five minutes of electricity. You know, that, that type of thing. I don't think we'd see that here. But what I do think if we would see here, more than not, is like, no, no, don't do that. Don't, no, no, take that back. The church is fine. The church is fine. We chucked the budget in. We, we made the actual goal, not even just the need goal. It's, it's fine. Take that and go to Subway and get half a sandwich, please. Th- this is yours. I think I'd be the response because I think from a, from a good-hearted standpoint, that's how we would feel. Jesus didn't have that response. And, and I, I think that challenges me in many ways. I I remember, okay, we'll we'll do a quick uh, recap of tithing and offering just in case you haven't been around. If you want to go deeper into it, YouTube page, uh, church website, look up tithing, look up generosity. We've got tons of stuff out there. But generally, the tithe is the first 10% that I get of anything that God entrusts me with. That 10% goes to God. It's not the last 10% because sometimes I have my last 10% sometimes I don't. It's my first 10% and I honor Him first. Offering is anything above the tithe in that, in that you know, 10, 11% to 100% standpoint that God leads me on and then He also calls me on generosity, to be generous to other people. Th- those are three pretty clear teachings. Um, on the tithe, there were some today that believe that the tithe is still in place and there are others that believe that it was fulfilled with, uh, with Christ. And so it is uh, not really about the percentage, but about your heart. The challenge is, usually when I have someone with that argument, they're justifying not giving. Um, but the, the proper argument would be, it doesn't matter if 10%, 20%, 40%, I, I want God first on my finances. Okay, And uh, again, I can make an argument both ways biblically, but I truly believe the tithe was before the law, through the law, in the Old, Te- uh, in the Old Testament and the New Testament, so I still believe in the tithe. Um, so there was a gentleman that came here, on point that I, I really, really like, um, and he came, came for about a year or so, and he, he, he said he liked me, uh, and we got along really, really well, but he really struggled with that particular end of the teaching because he believed the tithe was fulfilled, and he, uh, we had a conversation, lovely conversation, good conversation, Christian mature conversation, and he was saying, can you teach that 10% tithe is like a good starting place, but the tithe isn't still in place? I said, no, I can't teach that, because where, where I'm at in the scripture, I, I don't believe that to be true, so I can't teach that. So he left the church, not mad, not upset, but to him, well, I think that's a secondary issue. And trust me, I know that there's things that you guys don't dis- that you guys don't agree with with me, and that's okay. We love each other, right? Huh? Just keep reading that that little sheet. I, I give the I, keep, I It's like an activity kit for kids. I just I'm trying to keep you busy. Okay. So, uh, but he, he considered a, a situation he had to separate, and his biggest point within that was his heart. What are you saying to people that don't have much if you're telling them that you're supposed to give your first 10% to God? My challenge is Jesus' reaction. Verse 43. Jesus called his disciples to him and said to them, Truly I say to you, this poor widow has put more in than all those who are contributing to the offering box. For they are all contributing out of their abundance, but she out of her poverty has put in everything she had and all that she had to live on. He didn't stop her, he celebrated her, why? Because she was a giver. And she did it in faith, and she did it in full understanding. And the one thing that I wish Mark gave us was what happened with her after this. Because I guarantee you, God took care of her. That's the one thing I know for sure. God took care of her. Um, Because, and again, I think this is a a spiritual gifting of, of generosity that challenges all of us to grow in our faith when it comes to generosity. Uh, so so I find that to be pretty pretty inspiring that she's still celebrated 2,000 years later for her beautiful, beautiful faith and moving in that, that generosity. So uh, the giver, I think she's a, a wonderful uh, person to be able to look at with this and to be able to see what, how God reacts to it. Uh, we do have people in our church that I think fits this as well Uh, some have finances some do not I have always found and I said just recently with the poverty assimilation uh, we were were talking I was talking with some folks I've always always said that people that have experienced poverty or in poverty are always much quicker to generosity than those that have a lot that think they have to protect it It, it, it's, it's just a universal truth after 30 years of ministry that I see over and over and over again I have learned from being a young punk Kid in ministry, to understand how God sees things, to not take and look at an offering that has twenty two dollars in change or thirty dollars in change and it 's not rolled, and you look at it and go i 'm going to have to take it i don 't even complain at all because I think it's as beautiful as any check for three hundred six hundred eight hundred dollars that we get it 's beautiful so, so I, I wish I could give names so there, there are people in this room that give far greater with a wall of coins than others of us who write a check. There, there, there are those in this room that do far greater with their limited resources um, that will not just do the tithe. And I, I have put this out there. Not, since I'm not saying name, I think I could be more free with this, this detail. Uh, that will still donate $3 to every area of our budget on top of their tithe. And I think it's beautiful. I think it's beautiful. So that's, that's, that, that's the heart of the giver. So who do we want to have pass out this time? I really kind of like the mother-daughter team. <laughs> but what about a mother-son team? Michelle, Justin, do you guys want to help me? Yes. <laughs> Was that just a lie? <laughs> a partial lie? So far, not next. I'm trying to keep doing new, new people. Come back to each one. I'll give you another one. I'm kidding.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: there you go, kids. Thank you. Thank you very much. A little bit of a larger print. I started out with the really small print so that you can't be complain the rest of the service. So <laughs> much better. <clears throat> Nicole, I'm giving you the week off. I'm not picking on you or anything. love you. Okay so, as we pass out the sheets, let's go to the notes on the screen as well. The Greek word is metadidum. I'm sure, confident that that is the correct pronunciation. It means to give over, share, give to, or to impart. Uh, It is to give of finances and resources. Uh, usually if we're talking about giving because we've created something like uh, blankets for babies, then we'll go back into the service end of things. Do I have more? Your mom has more. I bet you could take her. Uh, but we're, we're talking more about serving if we're talking about other uh, ty- types of actions. Well, here we're all talking about finances and resources when we're talking about the gift of being a giver. Um, we give in simplicity, Romans 12, 8, if you want to take a peek at that, just a little extra nugget. Uh, I, I like this phrasing, and it is not mine, but givers see tithing as receiving 90% instead of giving 10%. Thanks, man. Appreciate you, Justin. Thanks, man. Givers see tithing as receiving their 90% instead of giving up their 10%. Let's go to the next screen. And if again, if you miss any of these, just let me know and I'll send them. Uh, givers look with disapproval when people are giving with wrong motives. That's a very strong frustration to them if they know that the heart is, is wrong. Uh, givers don't have to be rich. I've already covered that. Some of the best givers I know do not have much. Their lens is giving, but we are all supposed to be givers. Okay, so this, this is a point just to kind of take it back to like the evangelists. There are those that are spiritually gifted as evangelists, and they see everything from an evangelist viewpoint. However, we all evangelize. We all evangelize. We can't say, oh, that's what the evangelist does, and I'll just kind of hide over here in the corner. We all lead people to Jesus. We all baptize. We all take and disciple one another. Uh, Givers, we are all called to be givers. The, The teaching I did on just that little brief teaching there on tithing and offering generosities for all of us, but givers look for the need. Givers look for the opportunities. That's their lens. Uh, giver guidelines. These a good guidelines to have if you find your giver. Uh, do not love riches or you'll be challenged even more. Give for the right reasons. I know some wonderful givers who give to just feel good about themselves and has nothing to do with God whatsoever. That's not what we're talking about here. Make giving you reason for gaining wealth. And keep your spiritual life strong and uh, your spiritual life strong and consistent, which I think goes with all these. But when you're dealing with money, uh, there could be some some bigger traps there. Sound good? If you are a giver, you have a spirit giving capacity and desire to serve God by giving of your material resources far beyond the tithe to support the work of God. You are the person who meets the financial needs of fellow Christians and the church. Exodus 2. I warned you last week to bring a packed lunch. I told you. On this next one we're going to talk about uh, spiritual gift of administration or being the leader. And with this I I really want to go to Moses. A lot of our our testimonies have been New Testament and I I think fittingly uh, true when it comes to spiritual gifts since that is a Holy Spirit driven uh, topic that the Holy Spirit, again, is in the Old Testament as well, but it's a New Testament concept. But when we look at Moses, and I love Moses, it uh, gives us so much information about Moses. It gives us such a breadth of testimony that we can see the ups and the downs and the challenges and the successes. That I love Moses. I remember our first longer series uh, that we did here um, at the church, and I think it would have been about 16 years ago, was uh, the Mos- Mo- Moses... Uh, in three acts, is what I called it. And it ran on for a good long time. Nowhere near as long as the Jesus study, but it was the first time it went long, and everybody was just kind of, can't we talk about something else? Absolutely not. Let's talk about Moses. Um, Moses' life does basically come into three acts, and like almost, it, it's odd. It's almost to the day. It's almost like God has something to do with it. Um, when Moses was a baby to when he was 40 years old, and you can check me on this timeline. Uh, he basically had a life of Egyptology. Right? If you know anything about Moses' life, he was a Hebrew. They were slaves to the Egyptians. They were killing off baby boys. His mom rescued him by sending him down the river in a basket. God stepped in. Moses is adopted by the Pharaoh's daughter. Uh, so now he is adopted in as an Egyptian instead of as a slave. He was not killed. He has education, he has resources, he has power, he has authority, um, everything he could possibly need. He's not living the life of a normal Hebrew. When he turns about 40, and we'll cover this um, in the, the, the reading here in Acts 2, something happens um, that changes that. And he goes from having all the power and authority to living a life from the age of 40 to the age of 80 of being nothing of having absolutely nothing in his life, and he's completely broken down. And then there's a third act in his life, at the age of 80, that starts with the burning bush, which again we'll cover today, to the point that he's about 120 when he dies, that he is leading the Egyptians, not the Egyptians, that'd be a weird story, the Israelites, it's like the Zack Snyder version. Um, is, two people got that, that's great. Um, the uh, but, but he's leading the Israelites as we know him with the, the staff and the Ten Commandments and all, all of these things. Uh, so we, but we see him go through a great deal of, of change. And I think he's a great example to see when we're talking about spiritual gifts that we have a spiritual giving capacity, that we grow in our spiritual gifts. We have successes and failures within learning how to use our spiritual gifts. And Moses, I think, is a great example of that. So we're going to pick up in Chapter 2, verse 11, when he's 40 and he is moving from the place of power and authority to a place of nothingness. Uh, Here's how the story reads, or the testimony reads. One day, when Moses had grown up, he went out to his people and looked on their burdens, and he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his people. He looked this way and that, and seeing no one, he struck down the Egyptian and hit him in the sand. When he went out the next day, behold, two Hebrews were struggling together, and he said to the man in the wrong, Why do you strike your companion? And he answered, who made you a prince and judge over us? Do you mean to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid and thought, surely the, the thing is known. When Pharaoh heard of it, he sought to kill Moses. But Moses fled from Pharaoh and stayed in the land of Midian. And he sat down by a well. What you see here is a leader with a heart to lead, but not grown in his capacity. I don't know if he always knew that he was different. I don't know if he just found out recently that he was actually a Hebrew and that he was adopted. Whatever the case would be, when he's about 40 years old, he looks upon the struggle of his own people and says, I want to do something about this. And so here's a situation where a Hebrew is being abused by an Egyptian, and he says, I can do this. And then you look at the t- text, it says exactly this. He looks this way and that. He does not look up. He judges this situation from a worldly perspective. Nobody's looking. I can take and save this guy. He kills the Egyptian, hides the body. I did my good deed for the day. That's the thought that he had at the time. Matter of fact, it went so well. I think I'll do it again tomorrow. And I'm going to go to two Hebrews. They'll fight with each other. He says, "Hey, I'll step into this and I'll lead them out of this conflict." And it all blows up in his face because he didn't do it God's way. Has the heart of a leader, but he did not follow God in how he was supposed to do it. Does that make sense? all together on that so that's when he flees and he goes out into the desert and he marries a woman who's a, the daughter of a, a shepherd and he loses everything and he's living in the desert for the next 40 years and the only authority he has left is over a few little sheep that he does not own and he learns how to be nothing he learns how to be nothing so then if we jump ahead to chapter three because they only give about one chapter to that part of his life uh, in chapter 3, you're going to come upon the point where God says, okay, it's time. And so, um, I wasn't going to read this part, but I, I want to. I'm sorry, I really like Moses. And you guys are being pretty well behaved for the most part. Let's see. Get your magnifying glass out, yes? I was looking at you there. Hey, baby. Verse 1, now Moses, and I'm sorry for the evolution people because I'm skipping uh, back a little bit. Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law, Jethro, the priest of Midian, and he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the mist of a bush. And he looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. That's odd. So he wants to check this out. So Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see God, he called him out of the bush, Moses, Moses, and Moses said, here I am. That is the best response you can ever have when God calls your name. He's starting out strong right here. Here I am. God says, take off your shoes. It's holy ground. He takes off his shoes. And and he he takes in... does what God calls him to do and God starts talking about the about the affliction of his people and that he's ready to step in and that's where I'll pick you back up in in verse 10. God says to him come I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people the children of Israel out of Egypt but Moses said to God who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt he said but I will be with you and this shall be a sign for you that I have sent you when you have brought the people out of Egypt you shall serve God on this mountain then Moses said to God, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they asked me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? And God said to him, I am who I am. Uh, this is where you see that Moses has now been broken. If he was the Moses when he was 40 and God showed up and said, now's the time. I'm going to use you. We're going to lead out all your brothers and sisters out into freedom. Moses would be like, yes, finally. Finally. But you see that he needed to be broken, he needed humility to get to the point almost too much where he's crushed and he says who am I, who am I, you're my leader, you're the one I called, you're the one I've given capacity and I'm with you. And God being funny says I'll give you a sign that when all this is complete you'll come back to this mountain, and you guys will worship together. I don't know about you but when I want a sign that helps my faith I'd like to see something before I do the action. Instead of after the action, but this is the sign. This is what he gave him to start out with. And Moses was like, what am I supposed to even say to him? I am who I am. And he, he goes through after this, and, and again, read, it, read this later through the rest of this chapter. It's beautiful. But God takes and sees that the sign after isn't going to help him. So God goes back and says, here's the plan for the next six months. Here's how you're going to act. This is how they're going to react. This is what I'm going to do within it. So when they they reject, I'm going to come with these plagues. He gives them the entire plan. And I have yet to experience the day when God shows up and tells me what the next six months are going to look like. I would love that. Love that. Instead of the step-by-step of, you know, being faith type thing, he gives him everything, everything from beginning to end. And then in uh, chapter 4, verse 1, Moses answers and says, But behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice. For they say that the Lord did not appear to you. And the Lord said, what is that to his hand, in your hand? He is now changing gears because the other tactics are not working. So Moses says, a staff. God says, throw it to the ground. So he threw it on the ground and it became a serpent. and Moses ran from it, like he's trying to do from God. But the Lord said to Moses, put out your hand and catch it by the tail. So he put out his hand and he caught it and it became a staff in his hand. That they may believe that the Lord, the God of your fathers, God of Abraham, God of Isaac, God of Jacob, has appeared to you. Again he said to him, put your hand inside your cloak. And he put his hand inside the cloak, and when he took it out, behold, his hand was leprous like snow. Then God said, put your hand back inside your cloak. So he put his hand back inside his cloak, and he took it out, and behold, it restored like the rest of his flesh. If they would not believe you, God said, or listen to the first sign, then do the latter sign. And if they don't believe those two, or listen to your voice, then you should take some water from the Nile, put it on the ground, and the water is shall take from the, the Nile will become blood on the, di, the, the, the dry ground. Three powerful tools within it. But let me, uh, I'm sorry, I can't resist this. Uh, notice the signs that God gave him. First off, what's in your hand? A staff. It's nothing. It's a stick. It helps him walk. It helps him protect the sheep from, from predators. Sometimes shepherds at the time would carve their story or their history into it when they were bored, and it would become kind of a family heirloom type thing. I think Moses probably had done that. And he says, I don't have much anything. I just got this staff. It's not like my royal scepter. It's not like all the authority that I had when I was back in Egypt. All I got is just a few sheep here, and God said, lay it down. You got to lay down Everything. Everything. And then when he t- turned into a snake and that was a mute fun, and he picked it back up, that staff from then on, the rest of the time you read it, is called the staff of God because he laid it down to God. Love that. Does miraculous things with it. Then he says, take your right hand, which is significant in the scripture, but I'm not going to keep you guys here all day. Put it in. He brings it back out and it's leprous. It's white right as, right as snow. You look in the scripture, you're going to find that reference used many times to represent sin. What's, what, what, what's, in your hand, what's in your body? Sin. Let me restore that. Now you can hold my staff. Now you can hold my staff. He's giving you signs, but he's also preparing his leader. Uh, and after these incredible things, verse 10, But Moses said to the Lord, Oh, my Lord, I'm not eloquent either in the past, or since you've spoken to your servant, but I'm slow of speech, I'm slow of tongue. Then the Lord said to him, Who made man's mouth? Who makes him mute? Who makes him deaf? Who makes him seen? Who makes him blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now, therefore, go. Do you see that God's getting a little impatient? Now, therefore, go, and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall speak. And then in a beautiful moment in Moses' life, he says to the Lord, Oh, my Lord, please send somebody else. The The leadership, John Maxwell should be writing about this. O Lord, please send somebody else. Then the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses and said, Is there not Aaron, your brother, the Levite? Shall I send him? I know that he can speak well. Behold, he's coming out to meet you right now. In other words, he's already in motion with Aaron. He says, You shall speak to him, put the words in his mouth, and I will be with you in your mouth and with his mouth, and I will teach you both what to do. He shall speak for you to the people, and he shall be uh, your mouth. And you shall be as God to him. Now take your hand and take your staff and do the signs I told you to do. Lead. And we see Moses lead for the next 40 years. First off, if you're just getting about 80 and you don't think God's got much left for you to do, you've got another 40 years maybe. Because that's what he's been prepared for, for the first 80 is he's been growing in this capacity. And we see for a great period of time him growing uh, and changing from whining to worshiping to successes to failures we see him going in how to not to share the load and be able to uh, delegate uh, do you, I don't know if you know the story Jethro came to visit him one time and he was judging all the matters of all the people which they estimate is about five million of the Israelites and Jethro says dude you are killing yourself you cannot lead and take care of every little disagreement that goes on amongst the people you have to raise up judges that deal with the day-to-day stuff, and then you deal with the hard stuff. He had to learn that lesson of being able to share that instead of trying to think he had to do everything himself. He had to learn to trust in God even when he had seen God move so many billions of times. Do you remember what's considered kind of the big mistake Moses had? God said to him, they're whining about water. You speak to this rock and tell it to give water and it will give water. And Moses says, I've got this. I've done this one before because there's another story earlier on where he took his staff God told him take your staff hit the rock and water will come out he goes I don't need God on this one I've got this down bam and water came out and God said hey you kind of missed the detail in there I didn't tell you to hit the rock I told you to speak I told you to speak that's where the power was so he had a lot of things actually that's if you ever look that's the reason why he lost not being able to go into the promised land Uh, his leadership lessons led them into the desert for 40 years instead of about six months. There's a lot of things that we find in in his life that that are beautiful. So anyways, like I said, I could talk about Moses forever, but we have to give out another sheet. (sighs) Oh, Amanda. Oh, were you volunteering? Come on up. Now I have to decide which Amanda I want. (laughs) I want Amanda Book. No, Amanda Book already did this. I want Amanda Russell. Because I made JT and Amanda do the first week, didn't I? Yeah. I mean, did I break your heart now, Brooke? If you would like this side of the room, Madame. I'm actually just making the cameras move fast. Thank you, ma'am. I don't know if I gave you enough. You might have to wrestle some back. And again, if you did not get one of these in the previous weeks, I've got extras up here. You can email me and I'll send them to you. Uh, And then we'll go from there. Oh, it's fun to watch the different passing out styles. I can tell that Amanda Russell's a teacher. <laughs> She's really got it down. I'll pass it back through the row. All right, so as they're passing out, let me go to the notes on the screen to keep things moving for you. For the administrator, for the leader, Greek, Kubernetes. That, that actually sounds like it could be something. Uh, it means stewardship, for a ship, and I think that's probably the most fitting Explanation for the gift of uh, administration or a gift of, uh, of leadership uh, is you're steering the ship. Uh, Ch- Charles Randall, this is why I, I, his name jumped in my head. He didn't say the only thing. He said this. Cupid, um, whatever, uh, was an expert in the midst of the storm. So what their job was, was when it, there's a storm going on, when the rocks, are, you're trying to go through the rocks, when you're trying to avoid the iceberg and Titanic, all these fun things, that's what they're called to do. They steer the ship. They're steersmen. Uh, they are leaders. They are rulers, uh, organizing, governing, and administrations are words that come out of this that are part of the spiritual gift of administration. Uh, Christopher, can go to the next page. Uh, they are take charge people, uh, and sometimes, oftentimes, that's a good thing, especially if they're within the walls. Sometimes it could be a bad thing. Uh, there are two types. There are organizers. Uh, not all leaders want to be out in front, but they like to organize and they administrate and lead things by planning. Uh, and then there 's also relational: those that are more face to face, building people up, um, maybe do more mentorship than the organizers do. Uh, they must watch the boundaries of overseeing. what we 've seen. What I mean by this is biblically, there are uh, teachings of um, how leadership works. So there are I'll, I'll give this example. I was on a mission trip one time, and it wasn't uh, the most comfortable mission trip of all time. But I was not the leader of that trip. I was on that trip. Uh, the, other, the person who was leading it was an, another pastor, and there, there were issues to be had. And so he, there was someone on our group that was staying behind for a few months, and he uh, she was an introvert, and he didn't have patience with introverts whatsoever, and uh, was treating her quite badly. So my role, I decided, was to be her best buddy. Not to call him out in front of everybody. I mean, sometimes a public uh, offense needs a public rebuke. I'm not saying that otherwise, but he was just constantly, uh, I didn't think it was good leadership. And um, he, <coughs> he, later, we were having coffee, just the, the four pastors, and they, they see pastors as uh, higher ups. And uh, he was talking about it. He goes, well, we're leaving in two days. Tom, I bet you said to this, the, the, this girl that don't worry, he won't be here for a couple more days. I said, I would never say that to her. I said, you have the spiritual authority in this situation. I would not backstab you like that. Um, <coughs> so there's ways to minister under bad authority without trying to take things in your own hands or it becomes a God's anointed in that situation. So uh, even even as a pastor, I have to watch. I know where I am shepherding and where I am being shepherded and make sure that I, I stay within those boundaries and don't undercut somebody else. It's a tough walk. Again, if you ever studied uh, David dealing with Saul, that's a, that's a good one to study when you're in a situation with a bad leader. Uh, the generally good planners, uh, They're generally good delegators, not always. Sometimes they think they have to do everything themselves uh it's not uh, always the best oh they're not always the best to explain the why behind the delegation um th- and, and th- that's true for most leaders that i know that they ask you to do something they're not always the best to explain why because you just kind of trust me them over this just trust me uh, and sometimes that can be get in the way and then god works through leaders if you look through the entire scripture from beginning to end, he does work through leaders so With that, if you are an administrator, you have a spirit-giving capacity and desire to serve God by organizing, administrating, promoting, uh, and leading the various affairs of the church. You are the person who leads within the church and its ministries. So if you've missed the list, evangelist, prophet, teacher, exhorter, shepherd, mercy shower, server, giver, leader, administrator. Let me ask you this, if you've been with us this whole time. And you think about the examples that we have gone through. Can you imagine if all of those people were like the Justice League of the Bible? Like they're just the team. They're like the ones. they are the ones that are going to come together and tackle the needs of the people that are around them. These are the giants in all of these areas. That's what the church is supposed to be. We're all supposed to understand all spiritual gifts, which we all have if you've accepted Jesus as leader and forgiving your life. Grow in that capacity and work together to be able to provide for the needs of the saints and for the world that's around us. That's the purpose of the study up to this point. That's why I asked you at the beginning, please forget any assessments you've done before. Not because they're wrong, but because we have to understand it from a team perspective before we understand it from an individual. Does that make sense? And if any of us decides not to, the body hurts because of it.
0: If you were blessed by today's teaching, we hope you return for our next podcast. Or better yet, stop by the Shepherds Fellowship any Sunday morning to join us live. You can learn more about the church by calling 740-382-3500 or check us out online by going to tsflife.com. That's tsflife.com. You can also support the ministry of TSF Life by donating at our church website or sending support to the Shepherd's Fellowship, 1647 Marion Marysville Road, Marion, Ohio, 43302. Thank you for spending your time with us today, and we look forward to seeing you soon. Be blessed.